There we go. Now I'm not muted. <laughs> Welcome back to the Boca Podcast. I was on mute there for a second in my intro. I guess it's been too many days away from the show. I am your host, Nathan Holwitz. We are back here live on the Boca Podcast. And for those of you that might be listening to the audio version of this after the fact, we do live stream every single Boca Podcast episode now. And if you go to facebook.com slash Boca Podcast, you can watch them there. You go to youtube.com slash Boca Podcast. You can subscribe, turn on notifications, and find out when we are actually going live. And come join the conversation. Uh, we want people to be involved in these conversations. Make it a group thing, not just simply a two-way street. You can take advantage of the opportunity to ask our guests questions, make comments. You can send us funny emojis if you want to. And uh, we'll have a lot of fun together. Then for those of you who are live streaming here today, and I see that uh, we've already had a, a couple people join us, log on, please don't hesitate to ask questions again, make comments and engage in the conversation at hand. We're going to be talking about a really interesting topic today with my brand new guest and I'll introduce her here in just a second. One last note before I do that, um, I just want to remind everybody as I continue to, to look for opportunities to give to your local community to national or international organizations. Um, I made my donation to Charity Water before our episode today, as I promised everybody I would do. I just popped that receipt up on the screen for those of you that are watching the live stream. And I only do that just to encourage you, to remind you to look for opportunities to give. We had our guest, Sean Lee, a number of episodes ago, came on the show and really pushed me in that regard. And I want to kind of encourage you all in the same way. We can always give even a little bit and it can make a big, big difference. All right. Enough of the intro and monologue. I want to introduce my guest for today. Brand new guest today is here with me, Rachel Larson Weaver. Rachel, thank you for coming to hang out with me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, and we're going to get into a topic today that honestly, I, I don't know that we've really touched on, at least not this specifically. And that is about long form portrait sessions. Um, and I, I think you've got an interesting perspective on this. We're going to get to what that even means and then how that breaks down, how you actually implement that in your business in just a little bit. You mentioned to me before we started that you've listened to enough episodes that you know what questions are coming up initially, um, but we're going to go there. I understood the assignment. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those of you that might be new to listening or watching the podcast, um, we have, and we've had more people join. So please, for those of you that have joined, don't hesitate to ask questions and comment, join the conversation today with Rachel. Um, but for those of you that are new to the podcast, I do send an outline of questions and talking points to our guests ahead of time. And of course, the first one that I have in that outline is about brand position. We talk a lot about brand position here on the podcast. It is a important piece, I think, of the puzzle when it comes to marketing and ultimately setting our business apart in the minds of the potential client. And so, Rachel, I'd love for you to introduce your brand position for your photography business. Well, one of the first bits of my brand position is the fact that um, I am a film photographer, so I shoot entirely in 35 millimeter and medium format film. Also, often people's uh, brand positions have to do with their local area, but mm. I am a traveling photographer. So okay. I um, have, so my market is the United States and Canada primarily, sure. you know. Just that small area. Just that little tiny market, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, a lot of sort of, it's hard to differentiate my brand position, I guess, from uh, my primary offering, which is long-form sessions, um, which are sessions where I come to you anywhere in the country, and I spend, you know, 
almost a full day with you. Some people it's a little longer, some people it's shorter. Okay. So that we are making a body of work around how you craft a day, how mm. you um, create your home, the relationships you're building. Um, so it's not a traditional portrait session. It's also not entirely documentary in nature, um, okay. though it definitely has like a strong element of that. Mm-hmm. But the positioning has to do with wanting to have this experience that creates an artful, tangible reminder of the beauty of the life you're making. And you kind of summed the whole thing up beautifully there at the end, just with those last few words. Yeah. I think it's really great. I said this to you before we started. I'm going to say it on air. Your work truly is beautiful. And I, and I honestly, I see, and I've said this before in the podcast, I see a lot of photographers work. And you know it's easy, I think, and you probably know this from being in the industry for a little bit now as well, it's easy to start to kind of glaze over even beautiful work. <laughs> Um, and you see a lot of photographers work. And I've been in the industry about 20 years now. So I've seen a lot of photography. It, it's hard to capture my attention. And your work very much does that. And in fact, I want to direct our, our listener and viewers' attention to your website, Rachel Larson, L-A-R-S-E-N, Weaver.com. And of course, we'll link to this in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. But immediately, we're, we're kind of drawn into the beauty of your work. I, I, you know, as popular as the film look is, these days, I did wonder, I was like, and I actually said this to Jill, our producer, I said, I wonder if that's a, is this a preset or if she's shooting film? And I love that you clarified that 35 millimeter, excuse me, 35 millimeter and medium format film. And we'll come back to that because I have a question or two to ask you about that. But your work is, is stunning. And it really is a wonderful mix of documentary. If it has a flash, a fashion flair, I, I would assume that's not as much intentional as you just know how to capture people beautifully. <laughs> And there's just this wonderful variety to the images. I will also say, too, that you know a lot of times in this type of work, there, it, you feel like the images are almost forced. And I, I feel like even those images, again, that have a bit of a fashion flair to them, you happen to capture in the moment and then just photograph it in such a beautiful way that it almost looks like you set it up. I mean, it's just it's really beautifully done. So I have to give you major props. <laughs> Thanks. They can't tell that I'm blushing if they're not listening or watching <laughs> live, but <laughs> um, that that means a lot to me. And a big part of, I know that sometimes when we're talking business, that there is an attitude that can surround that in photography where it's like, you're everyone's making beautiful pictures and how are you going to set yourself apart as a business? But it's... That's hard for me to do because the part that really has drawn me to it is the artistry of it. Mm. I really love the history and the tradition of photography. I spend a lot of time studying photographers. I spend a lot of money on buying a lot of photo books um, and seeing exhibits. I'm very drawn to, to the particular craft of photography. Well, and apparently you're not the only one that is very drawn, or I should say, I'm not the only one that's drawn to your work. Lexi is commenting on Facebook. She says, what I love about your work so much. And it really, your work does reflect that, that focus on artistry. Um, but I also get the sense too, like, even as I'm hearing you talk about it, sometimes whether in actual conversation or maybe even on the photographer's website, 
the photographers try to wax poetic and and it comes across as kind of overly self-important and and it kills honestly just the simple enjoyment of the beautiful work that they're creating i don't get that vibe from you to be clear <laughs> and and i i think it's lovely that you've created this beautiful work that actually stands out um and you don't have to make that big of a deal about it it speaks for itself i think it's absolutely wonderful so two quick questions for you 35 millimeter and medium format first of all love it i i started in the industry before digital photography was a thing so i also shot film and i, I yeah. know what that's like and I, I love that process in general is there a reason that you went there that you're focusing on film photography specifically versus taking advantage of the other digital tools um yes and it kind of relates to two questions that'll actually come up to one i like the way a big part of the experience um, when I come in and I shoot is that I'm really trying to sink into a deep presence with my clients okay. um, and myself and to be really in that moment. And so the way that film forces me to slow down, I can't sh afford to shoot 40 shots when one or two could do. Um, and so it actually means that I put my camera down more often, which I appreciate um, and that I'm able to interact in a different way because the camera isn't going to stay at my eye. Um, also, to ha I feel like when you are limiting it, that it just makes them have more value. And you, mm. that's not, maybe that's not quite fair to say. But it, Oh, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to jump in yeah. and say a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I will. I know they're going to be different takes and that's fine. Yeah. But we shoot. I mean, photographers shoot thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of images these days freely because they can. And I think that's wonderful. But then the flip side of it, like you said, is it tends to devalue it, not just to the potential client, but to the photographer as well. There's less importance or weight put on the individual image that they're about to capture. And I think that affects the, the art that is being developed. Absolutely. Because I, and because I really like an imperfect image, I like something that has like the humanity really soaking through it. I feel like when you have a hundred choices that you're, you're going to be so drawn towards the most perfect one. Um, and so this kind of forces me away <laughs> from what my natural tendency might be. Yeah. The other thing that I love about film is that you just, because you haven't shot so many things because it already has a definite vibe and aesthetic really cuts down on your editing. <laughs> like, this is true. I really like that. Sorry to say that with, you know, hey, when I, we're I'm, talking about an editing. Let's let's do it all day long because, I mean, naturally it's a segue for me to, to promote yeah. the notion of outsourcing post-production. But that aside, again, having photographed, I mean, gobs I and mean, hundreds of weddings and worked in the industry 10 years and probably the first, um, or photographed for about 10 years, having photographed probably the first three years or so, let's see, maybe even four years or so of my wedding career with film, I understand the wonderful joy of being able to simply <laughs> take those rolls of film and drop them off at the lab and not have to do anything else other than pick them up. We did have to sort through the individual prints to put them in the proof book and of course take out the ones that, that weren't good. But there is just something wonderful about being able to hand that over. I understand the the wonder of being able to control an image in Lightroom or in Photoshop. I think, and I personally enjoy it. But what I still am confused by, it, years later, you know, now that we've had these tools for so many years, fifteen years or so, 
And we also, not only the digital cameras, but also the software to process the images. What I'm still a little confused by is, is the obsession that photographers have, one, over having to process their own images, and two, over the notion that they're compromising their artistry if they haven't processed their own images. Because it at the very least begs the question, what about all these film photographers that came before them? Were they all cheapskates? Were they all fakes and scams because they weren't processing their own images? It's a funny logic. Uh, absolutely. Because, and that's like, I am not interested in all of the manipulation. That part, it doesn't excite me. And so if it does, cool, edit your own photos. But if it doesn't, I'm with you. Send it to someone and let it be one less step. Yeah, absolutely. And and focus on making the art in the camera. And by the way, for those of you listening in, if, if you didn't miss the first part, just jumping back really quick to Rachel Larson, L-A-R-S-E-N, weaver.com, you can see what it means to create beautiful imagery within the camera. Uh, and Rachel, you really truly do a beautiful job here. And um, we'll make sure to link to not only that, but also your Instagram. I, I've already posted it on the screen, but your Instagram account, which is rachel.larson.weaver. And again, we'll put that in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. Okay, one very, very quick last question. If we can just do like, like a quick fire response to this. If you were to pick a, an inspiration, if you were to name an individual photographer, past, present, that has really pushed you in your effort to develop this art of film photography, who would that person be? I hate saying it because it feels maybe too obvious that it's okay. Sally Mann. <laughs> like, but she is who I um, continue to come back to over and over. I just, and I'm sorry, um, I, I, I some, something happened. I oh, think, Sally man, Sally man. Okay. Okay. Got it. Um, yeah, I feel sometimes that, uh, rebel in me wants to have like a more complicated or esoteric answer for you, but it's Sally. And what about Sally's work? <laughs> like truly drew you in. This is by the way, S A L L Y M A N N. Is that the spelling? Correct spelling? Yes. Is that right? Okay. And I'm actually um, pulling that up, uh, her website up here. I think it's sallyman.com if, if I'm finding the correct site. Yes. Is that correct? Though she, uh, she's not super internet savvy. Um, but it's, it's her books um, that I go back to over and over again. Immediate Family and At 12 being my two favorites, which are okay. earlier in her career. Okay. Um, and when she was shooting her children in the 80s, and she was pretty controversial because uh, she would her children were kind of feral wild children and often um, naked. And as they got older, then her books got banned. And um, some of the things I love about Sally Mann is the honesty around childhood, Mm -hmm. that it, that it isn't, it's not a saccharine view of it. Um, I also like the permission that I feel like she granted me as I studied her more and more that she wasn't afraid to set up a shot to tell the story she was interested in telling, even if it wasn't um, completely true in the moment. Okay. For instance, there's a sort of famous photograph um, where she's holding her son and it says Jesse bites and there's a bite mark on her arm. And apparently her son did bite often, but she had bit herself for the photo. Um, And sort of that sort of idea that like we can manipulate Hmm. to tell the story Hmm. um, and that doesn't diminish it. Take away from it. Well, I mean, the reality is we do that endlessly, right? And whether it's portrait photography or wedding photography, we're setting things up all the time. So it isn't necessarily, quote unquote, true to the situation. Uh, In fact, I think a lot of times, unfortunately, in some cases, 
photographers force their perspective on the situation. And I think it, it maybe even takes away a little bit from what could be captured or what is actually going on there. Uh, it seems like you found a good hybrid of the two, though. And we'll make sure to link to Sally's work or at least to, to her website in the show notes <laughs> as well for, for our listeners in case they're curious to explore that a little bit. All right. I want to keep going. Okay. Uh, and thanks for your take on all of that, too. I know I kind of jumped around a little bit. Talk to me a little bit about customer experience. I know the experience you're delivering to your clients, especially the long-form sessions, is a bit of a unique one. But is there a big idea that drives what you feel provides that good customer experience, the impactful customer experience for your clients? There are a few things, and I think that they um, are wrapped up in this like bigger desire that I have which um, centers a lot around having people really find presence in their days, find moments to see the beauty around them, which is often then kind of related to this um, other aspect of self-love. And the self-love experience, it's not just about bodies and um body acceptance. It's about love for the home you've made and the relationships you're building and the way that you're living. So the experience when I'm coming in to witness that is is part of it. And as I said, the photographs are as much about remembering that that's what is happening all the time to have this way of looking back and reminding yourself. Um, so it is the experience of me coming, I think, is often kind of therapeutic sometimes. Um, mm. And then the photos, uh, they support that, that I feel that the two things <laughs> kind of work in connection with each other. Okay. So I'm curious, um, well, one in particular, I, I, as you talk about the idea of presence and helping clients be present, I mean, this is a word that's thrown around a lot. I talk about it a lot too, for that matter. It's very popular in our culture right now and there's obvious significance to it, but it can also, because we're all talking about it so much, it can kind of get watered down <laughs> in the process, right? So what is that actually, well, two questions. One, what does that so-called presence actually look like when you're helping your clients be more present for the sake of the session? What does that look like tangibly? And two, how do you encourage that without making it feel weird? Because I can imagine, I mean, I'm sure that, that you are drawing, naturally drawing in many cases, clients who are open to a different experience or an unusual experience just because of the way that you approach your work. And certainly the sessions are a bit unique, but beyond that, how do you encourage that so-called presence without making them feel a little bit awkward in the moment? Like people are going like, what in the world is she talking about? Is <laughs> Absolutely she doing here? Like, fair. Um, <laughs> what does that look like? Well, first to say how I define presence, Please. I feel like it is a um, full sensory experience of the moment hmm. to be engaged in what's happening and to be actually seeing what's going on, to be feeling it, to be aware of the temperature on your skin and the sounds outside and what your clothing feels like on your body. Presence to me is really sinking in to all of your senses so that you aren't kind of disembodied, that you aren't um, existing outside of the moment, um, not to get like too woo about it. But then I think the way that I have made that not feel wildly awkward when I get in there 
Um, most people who have hired me, because it's a pretty hefty price point, because it's a pretty vulnerable experience to have somebody come into your home mm -hmm. to spend that much time with you, they have engaged with me at some level for a while. They've probably been reading my newsletters. They have been on my Instagram. And so some of this, um, this discussion comes up over and over again in what I photograph and what I write about. So I feel like they've actually, by the time I show up, they've probably kind of been practicing it or thinking yeah. about it okay. before I've come. And that's like part of the, um, the draw of having me there is that they've kind of been having this conversation with themselves, you know, weeks or months before I ever show up. Yeah. So in, in a way, maybe whether it's intentional or unintentional, you're, you're kind of managing their expectations previous to the session or preemptively um, through, I mean, I, I would imagine through your work, certainly that you're sharing, maybe you've had one or you've had, I'm assuming conversations with them in advance, like on the phone or zoom or otherwise. Absolutely. Um, and as I said, my newsletter has become kind of my baby in the last year. And so, okay. and that's pretty writing heavy. And so, mm. They have, uh, they've been probably engaging with it there. Yeah. I send out a session guide after they book and some of the things that it talks about. One of the phrases I use a lot is talking about poetic sparks, the little things in your life that, that you look at and appreciate without necessarily a value judgment, but thinking about it in terms of of a sensory experience, that you're noticing the light, that you're hearing your children's laughter, that you're smelling what the wet earth is. Uh, so when I send out the session guide, that's one of the things that I'm encouraging them to be thinking about so that when I come in, that we can try to capture those images mm -hmm. and those moments together so that yeah. there's like less thumb twiddling and they don't feel like on the spot, like, so what are the poetic sparks in your house? Like there, <laughs> I love. But here's the thing: I love that you're honest enough to make fun of even those words that you just said seriously a, a couple of minutes ago. Because you're right. The reality is that some people's perspective, even if maybe they're interested in your work, is going to be a little different than yours, and they might be like, "Oh, that does sound kind of woo woo." And like, what does she actually mean by that? And what's she talking about? Again, the fact that you don't take yourself too seriously is refreshing because I've, <laughs> I've seen other people in a, other photographers in, in the space. And there are not many of them, to be clear. I mean, you definitely stand uh, as a unique photographer and individual in, in our industry. But I've seen others in a similar space or trying to do a similar thing as far as bringing a very artistic vibe and trying to go outside the box. But man, I, so much of the interaction, whether it's in person or virtually, feels so self-important and I just wonder how much of that kind of gets in the way again in the experience or even the, their ability to reach out to connect with a potential client. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, I can be pretty irreverent about all of it because all <laughs> of it, it gets so dogmatic about any of it. And yeah. that's one of the reasons even like I can feel that there's like dogma around um, documentary photography where it's like, no, you must not change anything it's only what's in front of you or or any of these conversations if they aren't approachable if we can't laugh about them then why the heck mess with it 
we could we could end our podcast right now and if yeah. we all just took away that as a lesson not just for our business but for our life I, I, we would we would have yeah. gained massive value today seriously it's, it's a wonderful reminder and I, I truly appreciate that so let's kind of shift gears a little bit talk to me a little bit about time management um, is there an idea that drives and you know I, I know that the the notion of balance is we almost laugh at it many times because it, it looks funny especially as entrepreneurs solopreneurs we're just trying to make this thing work in many cases. And so we put the extra hours and the effort in, but have you learned over the years a, a way for yourself to create some type of a balance between working really hard, but then also having a life outside of that, having time for relationships? Is there an idea that drives that? Um, it's that I like to go hard everywhere. <laughs> I like work hard. Hmm. And when I'm working hard, I'm I'm going for it. I get up early in the morning. I mean, side note, I have five kids and they're homeschooled. So there's like a lot of, there's a lot going on. Um, So I try to do my work. I try to be really efficient and, and I get a lot done, but then I also try to super unplug. We live um, just feet away from the Chesapeake Bay. So Mm -hmm. almost every day I try to be, at the beach and sort of unplugged and mm-hmm. with my children and like appreciating that bare feet to the earth yeah. because that's the way, I mean, I sort of seek my balance through extremes. <laughs> um, I also value my friendships and I, uh, lots of my friends are kind of spread far and wide. So I like to spend a whole weekend with them where you're like, this is what we're doing and I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah. Um, the other thing is I am a very fast transitioner. I think I save so much time by like, if I say I'm leaving, I'm walking out the door seconds later, which kind of can drive people nuts. But there's that's, not a lot that's of That's actually refreshing because a lot of people say something and then they do it three hours later or five minutes later, <laughs> but like whatever. It's, that's, that's actually really wonderful. Um, I have to also say too, because I, I, I glanced at your Instagram earlier and uh, or to your story specifically. And there were pictures of you. I mean, you're, you're practicing what you preach. There are literally pictures on there. You, you're out at, uh, at the water at the beach with your kids. I think it's lovely. And oh my goodness, what an incredible opportunity to be able to like, proactively take them to that experience on a consistent basis. And of course, for, for you to be able to have that as well. But wow, that is incredible. No, it's... I'm very grateful to live here. I'm the fourth generation of my family to be in this town. So... Maybe I didn't much make a choice, but uh, that's actually not true. I have chosen to be here. I've chosen to yeah. stay here and to really be excited about this small town mm-hmm. um, because I love that. That's lovely. That's wonderful. Well, just to kind of segue, we're talking about time management. Besides that intentionality and the ability to kind of flex and flow very, very quickly, I love that. The transition, I think a lot of times in our culture where we're so safety obsessed, um, we have a hard time making transition. And so for you to have that ability, I think is, is wonderful and even rare. But talk to me a little bit about delegation because and this is certainly something that we talk about quite a bit here on the podcast for, well, multiple reasons. One, I do own an, an editing company, but more importantly, delegation ultimately can play probably the biggest role in our ability as entrepreneurs to be able to save time. So we're delegating administrative tasks, we're delegating album design or editing or whatever, accounting work endless list of things that we can delegate. Is this something that you've experimented with in your business? And if so, what that, what has that experience been? As I said, one of the things that I do for time management is shooting film. I like it from an artistic point of view, but I 
do like it from a time management perspective. The other thing is um, in the spring, I did hire somebody who she came on initially to help me get my newsletter up and running and to get some of the back end marketing stuff in place. Um, and now she continues to work with me kind of in an ebb and flow. If I am going to do a webinar to try to bring new people in that she helps me so much with those mm. back end pieces. Yeah. Um, I still desperately wish that I would get myself an actual virtual assistant. Um, to like respond to the emails and things uh, like that, but that's got a any lot good sometimes. resources? Um, I, <laughs> I won't draw any immediately out in there, but I will say just from experience, having a wonderful team on my side has, is definitely invaluable. So the idea that you have, I mean, anybody there helping you, like you said, back end stuff, even earlier today, um, previous to this podcast, Jill, who produces this podcast and I were also brainstorming. She heads up our digital marketing as well. And so we were spending some time brainstorming, uh, the onboarding process for uh, one of our companies. And it's it's so invigorating to be able to to work with and play off of another person, or if you have the opportunity, multiple people. We have a, a relatively large team, all told. And it's just, I don't know, I feel lucky for that opportunity because I know I can only accomplish so much on my own. I have all kinds of limitations and shortcomings and so forth. And so the opportunity to work with other people who are, not only invested in, in the business, but have different ideas and different perspectives is lovely. Um, and then certainly people that can help manage the workload because it's so much to manage when we're running our own business, you know? It has been a huge um, growth in my business since having Eliza on and working with her because they have so many good ideas. They also like hold me accountable to making sure that I like follow through with the ones we've been discussing. And yeah. it's, and as I have referenced, my newsletter has been such a huge piece of mm. transitioning into long form sessions, because I do feel like through newsletters, you really, um, people come to trust you sort of in a different way through the consistency of that. And having somebody work through that piece with me has been huge. Wow. Okay. Well, highly recommend for anybody listening in, look for those opportunities to be able to delegate even small things. It really does make a difference. I, and let me ask you this one question, because this is important. And I, I, I've been asking my guests this a lot because I'm curious, even in my own experience, learning experience, um, what I haven't mentioned, maybe you know this, or you've heard me say this, some of our listeners has, have before, but Jill, who heads up our digital marketing and produces the show is also my girlfriend. And she just joined the team about six months ago. And so it's been a really interesting like further learning experience for me to learn how to better communicate, right? So that there's, there's the, I mean, certainly we have the additional dynamic of a personal relationship and respecting that, but then also just learning how to, to more effectively communicate what it is that I'm thinking or looking for or need help with to somebody who actually already knows me, but doesn't know me in this context um, has been a really interesting learning experience. And her feedback has been really helpful in that, that regard. So all this to say, I'm curious as I'm also learning what has been, I guess, the idea or the ideas that have enabled you to more effectively communicate? Because delegation is all about communicating effectively. How have you learned to communicate um, to this individual more effectively so that what you want done, what needs to get done, can get done well? Oh, I don't know if I'm always... I, with Eliza, I do feel very comfortable with them that it happened to be an easy personal relationship. Okay, cool. But I feel that I have failed it in other times when I've tried to hire people on for different work where 
in that effort to not, um, I don't, you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. And so you mm-hmm. don't tell them. I think actually one of the reasons that Eliza and I work so well together though, is that there's a lot of frequent check-ins, which might not work to everybody's, um, benefit, but that way we haven't ever gone too far in a direction and that I have to say, oh, I'm not feeling that. 100%. So that I think really helps me then like not feel guilt if I'm like, oh, that was a half an hour of work that I'm not liking versus three days. You've designed this logo and all of this branding <laughs> for me. And I'm like, that yeah. is not what I thought mm-hmm. we were doing here. Yeah. You know, I, I'm so glad you bring this up for a couple of reasons. One, it's a good reminder that delegation, the process of delegation, whether you're working with a third-party company or an individual in-house or whatever it might be, it is a process. And and part of that, again, the biggest, I think the most important piece of that process is not just communication simply, but the willingness to communicate and more specifically, the willingness to make time, not just take time, but make time to communicate. If you're not willing to engage in communication, the, the experience of delegating something to somebody, whatever it might be, uh, in many, if not most cases, is going to be subpar it does take an active conversation. And to your point, any potential issues can be addressed more immediately if if that conversation is ongoing. One of the things that we've experienced at Photographer's Edit is that photographers will hand over images a lot of time just with the assumption that I could just kind of give them the images and they'll read my mind and, and it'll be great. And then they get the images back and they're not happy with them. And not only do they not let us know how we can make it better, but they didn't even take the time in the first place to communicate what it was that they were looking for clearly. Both of those things are needed. Communication of preferences, desires, needs, wants first. And then after that, the ongoing feedback, which you've highlighted, Rachel, so wonderfully, that is absolutely needed in relationship. It's not one and done. It's ongoing. And that's so important to remember. Yeah. And I do feel like when you have built that in, it does make it feel so much less awkward because it feels like there's a relationship. Mm. Whereas if it kind of, if, if it feels very separate, I I can have a harder time than yeah. wanting to, you know. Well, I, I feel your pain when, when it comes to that. I'm going to say throw an opinion, but yeah. well, no, but yeah. it's yeah, but it's your business, right? So you actually have the right to be able to communicate what it is that you want. It is, it may be your opinion, and that's fine. Um, but I've it's funny the number of people that I've talked to photographers over the years who have expressed that very concern of guilt or like feeling bad giving us constructive criticism. And what I've had to say to them is, no, actually, we want it. Like, we, we want a relationship with you. And, and again, part of that relationship involves active communication. And if there's something that we're falling short in, we actually want to know that so we can get better for you, so we can be better for you and ultimately make you happy. And that's really important to note. Um, I, I love that so many of us photographers, myself included, have are very emotional people and hopefully have pretty soft hearts. And so we kind of, we worry and we feel bad, but it's ultimately communication is what makes delegation work. And I, you highlight that beautifully. So that's really, really good. One more quick question for you um, before we get to the main topic at hand. And that is about a favorite self-help book, business book, both if you want. Um, what comes to mind? Um, most people who know me get annoyed with me talking about how much I love Women Who Run With The Wolves by uh, mm. Clarissa Pinkola Estes. Okay. Um, it's about the wild women archetype throughout mythology, which maybe, again, can sound sort of wooey and wacky. But it's a lot about um, tapping into your intuition. It is about uh, creative flow and staying with that. And it's also a lot about like loving and living joyfully in your body. And all of those things, I feel like, 
help kind of fuel me before I go into a session to be able mm. to create the experience that I want. And I'm actually, I pulled it up here on Amazon. Women who run with wolves, myths and stories of the wild woman archetype. Is that right? That's it. <laughs> Clarissa Pinkola Estes and, and um, yeah, we'll link to this in the show notes at book a podcast. How did you even come up on this book? Um, so it was like pretty big in like nineties feminism. Um, and then I think maybe it took a dip though. I think it's kind of come back in popularity recently. I don't know how I first got a hold of it, but if you saw my copy of it and how tattered and highlighted in the marginalia, like it, uh, I also teach now, now school, um, with another photographer, Jan Palmer and Adrian Oliver. And it's sort of an intentional community sort of thing. But they all tease me and just call it the Wolf Bible at this point, because they know I'm going to quote it a lot. So what would you say, I mean, there are a number of potential takeaways, I think you even kind of alluded to here, but what would you say is one of the biggest takeaways that just added massive, like when you read the thing from that book, light bulbs came on and it made an immediate impact in your life? It talks a lot about how the more that we are separated from the wild, and whether that is like wilderness or our intuition, um, those things being connected, the dissatisfaction that comes with that. And so that's part of why I spend a lot of time at the beach. It's part of why I work so hard at stoking my own joy, because I feel like that connects me into something deeper. Um, And those things become really good creative fuel, and they are really good fuel in meaningful relationships, both with the people who are close to me and the people who are going to hire me. And you mentioned the Now Now School. Is that nownowschool.com? Is that the website? That is. Okay, cool. So I pulled it up here real quick for anybody <laughs> who, who might be curious. I, I love, it's, it's funny, um, and not even funny, I think it's kind of brilliant. It, we land on the homepage of the site and there is navigation, <laughs> as you would expect, and no image. I don't know if that's supposed to be how it is, but what you That's do, how it's supposed to okay, be. <laughs> so this is, no, it's brilliant though. For anybody who's not watching live, um, it's just listening to the audio. There's no header image. It's, there's literally in small font and in parentheses, take a breath. And and I literally found myself doing just that. Like it, it's it's funny the the impact that something so simple like that can make. But what's the impetus behind that there on the homepage? So all of the uh, wooey stuff I've been talking about. If you want to lean hard into that, that's what now now is, is very irreverent, wooey stuff. Um, And so we want people to take the breath and to return to their body. And it is about like stoking presence, community, joy, self-love, humor, justice. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's an arts integrated space, a nature integrated space. That's a whole nother it's a whole, whole other thing. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> no, don't apologize. At the very least, we'll link to it in the show notes at bocapodcast.com for anybody who's curious and wants to explore a little bit. Casey on Facebook said, love this. Thanks for joining us, Casey. And, and Lexi earlier and everybody else who's streaming live right now, um, please don't hesitate to ask questions, comment, join the conversation. We're going to actually transition into the main topic at hand. Um, we're going to talk about this idea of long-form portrait sessions. First of all, how long have you been approaching portrait sessions in this way? So from like offering them as uh, as sessions through my business since I think I launched them in April. 
Okay. But I realized uh, it was something that I was doing with some clients and with friends of mine and with my sisters. And it was creating the work I was most excited about, which would be that I would spend a period of time with them and that like the photos could be happening really slowly and organically. It wasn't like we have one hour to make these pictures, Um, which is really hard, especially when there are children involved. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes folks think like 24 hours of pictures, that's going to be so stressful. The goal is that it's less stressful. If your kid is having a meltdown, it's okay because we don't need to be making the picture right now. Um, If you've got an angsty teenager who needs a little time for me to kind of warm them up, we have time for that. Um, And so I realized that that was what was helping me produce the work that I was most proud of. I also (laughs) sort of had a flop in the spring with a mini sessions, like some sort of motherhood mini session, like everybody does. Right. And I, and you're seeing everybody else's they're selling out in minutes. And I put it out there like, yeah, duh, I'll make some pictures and make some money. Uh, And it did, it did not go well. Um, And like, I've, I've had a successful business for years. So that Mm. offer kind of, uh, doing so badly was a blessing because I was like, this isn't actually what people want from me. They don't want to be in front of a beautiful block backdrop with flowers and that we spend 20 minutes making this picture. I think that it is about the experience. It is about this thing that we co-create. It's funny when I then launched these long form sessions, which are, many, many times the price of what a mini session would be. Mm. I booked twice as many of them than I had in the mini sessions. Like it really did speak to like, oh yeah, this is what people, this is, this is what I provide that is different. And this is what people want. And um, not to try to do the thing that I was watching other people be successful at that did not actually align with my skill set. Well, but you saw, you did the thing, you gave it a try, and then you saw it didn't work. And again, to your giving props to you for this, that you just transitioned, you pivoted, you said, that doesn't work, I'm moving on, I'll do this other thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm at this stage in my life, um, even actually just in the last few days, where it's really sinking in, which is not, not I know what works for me, so I'm not going to do anything else. I, I think that's too simplistic and closed minded. And I think there's always opportunity for us to learn and to grow and try new things and grow through those new things. But I also know like very base level, really my values, I guess, right? I know my values and I know that those values enable me to be kind of the best version of me. And I, 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 I kind of um, hesitate to say that because it sounds- Lean into it, Nate. Come on, this is what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> we're here now. <laughs> but, but it's that, right? Like I, I know that these certain things, for example, just on a very simple level, I know that if I, if I behave in such a way that ultimately puts me in a situation or situations where I'm rushed, the stress level goes through the roof. And this is very basic, I realize, but the stress level goes through the roof and I just don't want to be in that space. I was on the, I was uh, coming back actually from a, a family get together. My grandfather turned on 100 actually on uh, Monday and we were celebrating his birthday over the weekend in Modesto. So I was flying back, getting ready to fly back actually. And my flight was delayed and I knew that the, that the um, layover 
And ultimately connection that I had to make was going to be really close and I might even miss it. And it was late at night. And then if I missed it, then I have to be stuck there. And I just, I didn't want to put myself in a situation that was high stress and lose sleep over it and ultimately put myself physically, physiologically in a, in a worse place too. So intentionally, um, I talked to the counter, they rebooked my flight. I stayed in a hotel. I went to bed at eight 30 that night, uh, <laughs> and, and was all the better for it, right. For, for intentionally putting myself in a place where I knew I function way better. I get sleep. I don't put myself in a stressful, high stress, like rushed situation. And I'm going to be a better person for it at the end of the day. Now, I, again, I realize a very simplistic, um, idea that I'm communicating, but to that end, I love that, you know, what doesn't work, you know, what does work, what you enjoy, and you've embraced that and you've focused on it and you've made it your thing. And you're obviously doing a beautiful job of it. And I think it's a really wonderful example for all of our listeners. It was really powerful for me because, you know, I had like a moment of embarrassment when I thought like, I didn't, this did not go how I was expecting it to when I offered the mini sessions. Sure. Um, but to realize like, oh no, that, that does help put you on the path towards the thing that, that it, I have a unique place in the market now. I don't have to just compete with other mini sessions in my area where then price becomes a pretty big factor. How many photos are, you know, it, I pulled myself out of that and it was something I had been wanting to do, but didn't have the courage to, but it was sort of like, well, if I, Failed doing the thing I didn't want to do. Might as well fail doing the thing I want to do. And yeah, and apparently yeah. you're not failing. So that's good too. Yeah. <laughs> but I, again, I love, I love that you take the ego out of it, right? If, again, if you're too self-important, you're too fixated on how you felt and what happened, right? This thing, and you, it would be easy to get stuck there. And I'm, I know that personally or professionally, we've all in some way gotten stuck because of that in the past. In this case, you saw what didn't work. And rather than getting fixated, you pivoted, you moved on, you've created something that, that works for you for multiple reasons. Again, great example for our listeners. In the style of session, you talk about, and this is actually a quote I think that you wrote when um, we were in preparation for the podcast. You say, worry less about creating the perfect image and instead strive for the honest one. I think it kind of speaks for itself, but I'd love your perspective on what exactly that means to you, especially as you approach these sessions the way that you do. One of the things that can be a little bit of a struggle is sometimes people will come into it and be like, want to talk about an attention for detail. Uh, I feel like I do have a lot of attention for detail, but I just like the messy ones most of all. Um, so it's like hard for me to want to correct those because that's like what hits at my heart. So when I think about like the perfect image and when we're really posing people and when we're, you know, micromanaging different elements of it, to me, again, I feel like oftentimes people are sort of starting to like leave their body and leave their moment or leave the moment. Like the more, remember when you'd have to do your school pictures and the guy would tell you to put your chin down and you never really knew what that meant. You're like, yeah, what's this? I don't and you're just like, get me out of here. Yeah. Um, I think about that often where okay. I want to direct them and encourage them, mm. but I don't want to pose anything. Uh, I just did a session in Utah two weekends ago, and there was like a really beautiful moment of this mother 
holding her like 11 year old son. So it's like all legs and kind of awkward. And there was a pizza box on the table behind them. And we both were like, we're not moving that pizza box because that's like a part of their story. And I don't, I'm not trying to make an advertisement. Um, It doesn't have to be sterile. Those messy bits create a really like full and nuanced story that gets me really excited. Hmm. Well, and I mean, just very simply, it captures their life as it is. You're, you're, you're not forcing it. And that's kind of lovely. Like what, what is it about, like, why do we need to take the pizza box out of it? You know, I, I understand from a kind of traditional uh, compositional standpoint, for example, one photographer who might be shooting for the sake of competition might want to take any unnecessary objects out of the yeah. image, so-called distracting images out of the objects, but, or excuse me, objects out of the images. But in this case, it gives context to the image. It's part of what makes that image what it is. And that's part of why I like to go back and study photographers. And I have these huge stacks of photography books, because when I look at the people who have had the most meaning that um, I resonate with the most, they have those messy bits in it that it, as I said, it feels like it's pointing towards a certain artistry rather than like an advertisement that I I get excited about. And it isn't to say, I mean, there is some stuff I will move. There is some clutter if I don't actually feel like it's a part of the narrative. Mm-hmm. But some of those pieces, I think, make the work stronger and more interesting. Um, that kind of stuff doesn't like do that well on social media. <laughs> I don't know that like mm. the those kind of images don't necessarily read in the in on an Instagram square sure. the way that I would most desire them to, but it doesn't mean that it's not what I'm most called to create. Well, and you know, the irony of course of Instagram, well there are many ironies, but the irony of Instagram <laughs> is that is that the likes that we get on a picture doesn't put money in our bank account for at least ninety nine percent of us photographers. Um and, and so what really matters is what what the client's going to enjoy, certainly. And then also what art you, it is that you want to create. And there's an interesting balance when it comes to running a business between those two things. But it's not yeah, what it does on Instagram in many cases, if not most cases, has a little bearing on, on that conversation. So that's quite interesting. I, I want to get to what is, I know, a very broad and kind of general question. But I, if you don't mind, I would just love for you to walk our listeners through what it looks like to do a session like this. I mean, if you're talking about a 24 hour time frame, that's, a, that's a long time. So I, I know we only have a few minutes even <laughs> left, but as a, just kind of a general outline of almost, if you will, and the way that you approach these, these sessions, would you mind sharing that with our listeners? I mean, they do change. And part of it has to do sometimes with my own like travel schedule since I'm often flying to them. Okay. Um, so I'm just going to kind of pick a typical way that it could be, Please, which yeah. is that I would probably come in in the early afternoon and as i said they have already gotten the session guide so they sort of have some idea of what to expect and we have had conversations um and so i try to kind of come in as slowly as i can i'm putting my stuff down i'm introducing myself to the family we're looking around the space and so probably some sort of natural activity starts to take place. Maybe they're being fed a snack or it's time to go take the dog for a walk or they're going to go outside and play on their swing set. And so, you know, I 
bring my camera and it's kind of eases into it, Mm, right? That like some of those pictures and they start to get more comfortable. Kids are showing me their favorite things. Mm. Um, Sometimes it's getting later, dinner's happening and somebody might offer me a beer. They might be having one, you know, that there's like (laughs) a, there's sort of a festive feeling Mm. happening. Mm. Ideally, Mm. usually as the light is getting good in that golden hour time, then that's when like the most formal pictures will be done. Um, And formal is being used very lightly. Um, But like everyone together in a space looking Mm -hmm. at the camera versus Mm -hmm. me going off in different groups. Okay. Um, And also I like to do it then so that if it doesn't go well, if there is a toddler tantrum, if that there's still going to be like good light opportunity in the morning to try again. Um, Right. And so then I'm frequently sleeping on an air mattress or in a guest room. <laughs> I was going to ask. Okay. Yeah. I, the only thing I ever say, like, the only thing I need is coffee in the morning, preferably two of them. Um, everything <laughs> right. else, I'm really glad I'm not a picky eater. I'm mm. eating the meals with them. Like, I'm there. I know that there are documentary day in the life photographers that talk about being a fly on a wall. I don't know if you've picked up on this. That's like not so much my MO. (laughs) (laughs) That's not really how I do. So it is that we're talking and collaborating. We might Mm. kind of make plans for the next morning, talk about exciting things. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the morning pictures tend to be my favorite part. I like the light in the morning. I like the sleepy faces of people making their breakfast together. And so you kind of get this slow morning of natural images and then usually then at that point there might be a couple of things that they want to like maybe we go to the soccer field because their kid has a game and we're getting Mm -hmm. pictures there we're Mm -hmm. walking to their favorite coffee shop maybe a a lot of my clients are photographers so they might have a specific idea that then they want to play with or try out um and so then sort of it gets into like the busyness activity of the day and we're doing that and then usually in the afternoon Maybe there's nap time or whatever. Then I head off. Okay. So is it, is the, does the day, the so-called 24-hour period, does it start usually in the morning or in the afternoon? Or is it no, just usually the... it kind of depends on the person. So okay. it might be from like afternoon to afternoon Okay, is sort of maybe the most common. Um, I did do like a session locally because I live about an hour outside of Washington, D.C., where it wasn't a true 24 hours where I – showed up first thing in the morning because I could drive there and then stayed with them until evening. Okay. So it kind of depends. And because there are also some people who maybe they their house isn't set up for guests. Sure. Uh, so there's some, there's, these are a pretty individualized experience. That makes sense. That might make sense. Within that time frame, and, and I understand it would depend as well on the amount of time that you're there, but how many rolls of 35, how many rolls of medium format would you shoot for, for an average session? Um, I should be able to answer that more easily. So I say that I deliver a minimum of 100 images. Okay. Um, and is that a mix I, of medium format and, and 35? And 35 millimeter. Okay. So it also kind of depends on light situation because my 35 millimeter can do 
more in low light than mm-hmm. my medium format camera is. Mm-hmm. So does so if it's like more inside photos, then it's probably going to be heavier on 35 millimeter. Whereas yeah. if we're doing more outside things or you have like a very light filled house, um, it could move more to medium format. But I'm probably shooting about 15 rolls of 35 okay. and maybe seven to eight of medium mm-hmm. format. I have I have to ask, and this is the nerd side of me coming yeah. out, but what medium format camera and what 35 millimeter camera are your go-tos? Um, Nikon F100. I have a couple of those. It. That's my, they're like not sexy, but they get the job done. I And you can get them feel for like, like 200 they don't bucks, get near, right? Yeah. I feel like people don't give that camera nearly enough oh, credit. I it was literally my bought- first professional camera. Literally 2001, that, that was the camera I got. I was enamored by it because I went from this like consumer level SLR to this F100. I'm like, oh my word, it's so quick and responsive and it, you know, it feels good in the hand. And oh, I loved it. I loved it. Because I just bought a Contax G2 or something. It's one of those like kind of trendy medium format cameras. Okay. And I can't tell in the scans. It was like a $2,000 camera versus a $300 camera. Yep. I can't tell in the scans which camera took which, so I am selling it. Like, wow. just let me keep the thing that yeah. like I love. Um, and then I use a Pentax 645N as my medium format. Love it. Again, like, kind of contacts, not sexy little sister. But, like, she doesn't get cold and stop working. She can <laughs> yeah. handle, like, humidity better. Yeah. She's solid. She makes that big clunky sound when you... Which is brilliant. Lexi asks, what lens? So if you had to pick two lenses, what are your two go-to lenses? I am, it's an 85 on the Contax or on the Pentax all the time. Uh, I feel like a 50 millimeter is my heart, but I usually have a 35 for interior shots Mm -hmm. if I need it. Sometimes I also will use an 85 if I... But that's more local sessions when I know I'm going to be outside. I don't always travel with that one. You're you're making me want to go pick up my camera and start shooting again. That's just, oh, I love this. Okay, yeah. so one last one last kind of nerdy question too from me um, for your low light stuff, especially black and white. Do you have a go to film? I usually use Ilford 400. Okay. I my black and white I'm less um, attached to as like I'm pretty much entirely. Portra 400 for color, but I'll experiment Same. more with um, black and white. Like I kind of like T-Max 3200. It. it could be so grainy. Like mm-hmm. I like it more for my like personal work. I'm sometimes okay. afraid of it for client work. Um, I get it. I totally get it. Do you, do you just have them push the 400 if, if need be? Like if you mm-hmm. need to bump the ISO? Okay. Yep. That's so cool. Yeah. I, you know, I, I honestly, I, I, first of all, I just love talking to you. You're a great conversationalist. You're a great teacher. You communicate, like you communicate these ideas in such a way that's easy to understand and kind of grasp. And it seems like you're a good storyteller too. And, and, and I just love that. Um, and by the <laughs> Thanks, way, Paula, Nate, this was really fun. Oh, no, no, no. This has been absolutely wonderful. Paula is actually chiming in from YouTube. She says, making me want to pull out film again. Yeah, I absolutely feel the same way, Paula. I've got my medium format, um, what I, my Yashica, the twin lens medium format camera, six by six camera. Um, and they also have a horizon. It's a Russian panoramic camera, but that, that medium format, the six by six to just go back and pull out. I've, I've got an old roll of film in there, put that in there and start shooting a little bit. I I've got to do it now. <laughs> you, I mean, especially for personal work, yeah. like for shooting your family is if you're feeling burnt out with like, Oh, if I take all of these digital pictures and I have to upload them into my, like, I don't know. It can just start to be like 
you stop taking pictures of your own children because yeah. you're like, this is just a struggle. Yeah. That there becomes something kind of precious if you're like, now nah, I'll take two or three rolls of film on our vacation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll just get them developed. And now my vacation was documented and it doesn't. Anyhow, that's like a fun reason to get it back out. I love it. I, th- I think you, you wonderfully brought this full circle here as we close to the significance of just a few images. And, and you know, for all of those listening in or watching who have not shot film before, my goodness, grab an F100, go to, my go-to, I don't know if you have a go-to, Rachel, for used camera equipment, keh.com is a, is a company out of Atlanta that I used for years who had an incredible rating system and I had a really great experience working with them. Do you have a go-to for used equipment? Usually I buy it from Japanese sellers on eBay because okay. they're really like meticulous about their yeah. cameras. Those have been, I think, where I've got all of them. Well, but I have looked on Okay, sometimes they don't have as much inventory, I feel like, at any given time. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I just, I I learned to trust them just because their rating system was so stringent. A lot of times I'd get equipment in and it was better than what they even said it was. And, you know, that, of course, is always impressive. Nonetheless, I want to encourage all of our listeners and viewers to, if you've not shot film before or you just haven't shot in a while, Go grab an inexpensive camera like the F100 or something comparable and, and shoot a little bit because it's, it's just wonderfully inspirational. You are wonderfully inspirational. I, I like truly appreciate the conversation today. And just remind our listeners one more time too, not only where they can follow you, but if they want to come join the community at the Now Now School, tell them just a little <laughs> bit about that, if you will. Um, yeah, you can Now Now School at .com or Now Now School on Instagram. We also have a retreat that we're doing in the summer. It'll be our second one. We did one last summer. Lexi, who's chiming in here, she was there. She knows it was great. Shout out, Lexi. Um, <laughs> I know. She's she's just trying to like help me look cool. Thanks, Lexi. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and then I am rachellarsonweaver.com. I love that you kept saying Larson with an E because that's – and rachel.larson.weaver at Instagram – as I have alluded to, my newsletter is like my favorite thing right now. So if you are interested in a Monday um, little treat coming into your inboxes, you can sign up at either of those places for that. Well, and they can find their newsletter there on your website. Is that right? They can find it on the website or it's in my um Instagram links bio. Perfect. In the bio. So we'll put all this in the show notes, bocapodcast.com. Jessica Be- Baker, she says on Facebook, oh. I really enjoyed this. I had the gift of being photographed by Rachel this summer. It was the dreamiest. I can only imagine, Jessica. I'm a little jealous, I will say. Uh, and I, I really appreciate all the comments, those who are joining in and watching today, those who watch silently but also join in. I appreciate you as well. Don't hesitate for those of you listening in to go to the show notes, take advantage of them, bocapodcast.com. Rachel, thank you once again for doing this. This has been lovely. Nate, this was great. Thank you so much.